You're listening to Notes from the Council Chambers podcast with myself, Nick J. Mosby. It's a podcast where I talk to some of Baltimore's thinkers to discuss issues of the day and how we move our city forward. On this episode, President Mosby talks to Shalonda Stokes, president of Downtown Partnership, about her plan to revitalize downtown Baltimore. Today, folks, I have the opportunity to have Shalonda Stokes on my podcast. She's an award-winning powerhouse who's an expert in many arenas, including communications, media, marketing, entertainment, government, and commercial business. She's a graduate of the Morgan State University and is a trained electrical engineer like myself. Please welcome to Notes from the Council Chambers, Mrs. Shalonda Stokes. Give a round of applause. So how are you doing today, Ms. Stokes? I'm, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And, and sharing this moment with you. I'd like to say publicly congratulations to you on your role as well. Just excited about what's happening in our city. Yep, I'm really, really excited about our city and that the can't be, that equation does not um, get put forth without an individual like you in such an important role. Now, you're no stranger to the city of Baltimore. People know you in all corners. You're kind of like the connector uh, in the city of Baltimore. Uh, and I shared a little bit about you, but to the listeners who are unfamiliar, uh, give us an idea of like who you are, what makes you go, uh, and uh, let us know about this exciting new position that you're in. Well, I can't say new anymore because you've been there for, for over a year. So tell us about a little bit about Shalonda. No, absolutely. I thank you for that. And not officially a year yet, my unofficial first year, but but, I, but I'll take it to the beginning. I mean, and I, I could not love this city anymore. I started out like like many here um, at a young age, just trying to figure out what was happening in different aspects. My why um, became just growing up in poverty and looking around and, and not seeing a whole lot of people that look like me at that point, doing some of the things that I saw on television. You know, my first job, somewhat serendipitous, at the age of 14 was cleaning at the Inner Harbor. And so I walked around, you know, I had the squeegee in my pocket and all of that and, and had to do all of that cleaning working for Harbor Place. But it was then that I also started to, to see everything that was coming into downtown Baltimore, into Baltimore, our city, stuff that I didn't see, you know, in my neighborhood. Always worked hard in school. You know, you talk about, you know, us at Poly, um, went to Morgan, it, all of those things, I think it was it was great stepping stones and a platform for who I was to become. And in my desire to follow a engineering career, for me, it was it was that inquisitive nature and the desire to be a problem solver. But I can tell you, really, at the core, what I knew is to be a black woman in an engineering field with an engineering degree would open doors and it did that coming out of Morgan. I had seven job offers just, just with an undergraduate degree. And so it, it you know, was a launching point for me. I did Hewlett Packard, I did GE, I did all of these, did MyCom Mid-Atlantic, ultimately to starting my marketing company that I had for 20 years, Graybo, where I, did, I had a wonderful partnership with the city and producing the festival and other large scale events. It was amazing. How I got here, though, is where things start to shift a little bit, um, because in my growth and development throughout my business career, I went through this organization called this program called the Leadership. I think it was transformational for for me. It helped introduce me to a number of people 
one of whom was in my class was my predecessor here at Downtown Partnership. We were in the same class. And if you've ever gone through the leadership, you know, you got to call your class the best class ever. So through that, I, I ended up meeting so many people. Fast forward, became the, the chair of the board at Downtown Partnership and was probably the shortest tenure chair. I came behind Dr. Perman and came was the board chair and COVID happened. Right. And so I'm the board chair. COVID happened. Um, Kirby Fowler, who was my predecessor, announced that he was leaving. And we were on the hunt to find somebody who could do this job, right? Who who could be take the helm of downtown partnership? And you know, with COVID, we all thought it was gonna be what, two weeks at first, then a month, and maybe a couple months we would get through it. And as we went through our hiring process, we ended up putting that on pause because, you know, how could you ever hire somebody from just Zoom, right? Because that wasn't our normal at that point in time. We put it on pause and the board had asked if I could come and serve in an interim basis. And council president, I promise you, in all of my life, I have never known a career that connected to everything that I was passionate about and where I felt I was needed as when I came in in that interim basis. And so I came in March 23rd of 2020 on an interim basis as the president and then ended up coming and seeing how much impact, how much money, how much resource, how much of a core of the heart that this organization has to downtown and what I could do to help from an equity perspective, a business perspective, all of those things. So I threw my name in the hat. It was a tough interview process and my one year is actually June 8th. So June 8th of 2020, I then became the president of Downtown Partnership. Long oh. intro. Now we need now we need another huge round of applause and clap. So that's a beautiful story. Now, I, I said in the beginning that, you know, my fellow former electrical engineer, um, but I tell I always kind of go back to my engineering roots, um, yeah. particularly as it relates to some of the large projects that I've been able to be a part of and the things that I've been able to do. And I think that it really provides you a, um, a an advantage, um, particularly for me in politics and in government. But I'm just interested, what are the things that you kind of lean on? Because I, I try to tell folks, engineering is the universal degree. If you can go and get an electrical engineering degree, a mechanical degree or whatever uh, in uh, undergrad, do it. Uh, but what do you think the things that you kind of lean on from the experiences, not only as it relates to the grind through undergrad, um, but then when you were introduced to corporate America and worked as an engineer. Thank you. I, I think that's an amazing question. It's funny when I was applying even for this job, one of the things they said, if you're an engineer, like what does that have to do with economic development or marketing or any of the other things that comes in? It's it's the foundation of everything. So I, I believe I lean on engineering from problem solving. In any, in any problem, there are going to be some givens. There are going to be some other things that you need to do to build in the equation. But ultimately, you have the right ingredients, the right metrics, and all of those things, the right formula, you can solve it. And so I believe that all things are solvable. And I lean on that heavily in trying to get to the bottom of root of a number of things. I think the other thing that I lean on heavily, you know, in while you're in school doing engineering, the thought of sleep, and all of the other things that you need, you know, that that most people, I think, um, had the pleasure of enjoying. I didn't. And so, I, you know, I could function on two hours or four hours or whatever was needed because I knew I needed to get that paper in that project done, that lab completed. And that transitions over to here. Not that I'm saying overworking is 
fine, but but I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that we get the job done. And and if, today, if you know Shalonda, you know she is an overworker working. <laughs> don't, don't say that. I put you out there. I put. I seen you. I seen you at events working. I seen you out at restaurants working. You're always working, um, and that's what you've always been. I mean, the transition even from Graybo to your current position, like people know you as a hard worker. Um, now, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are going to come out of COVID, but, you know, as it relates to your particular role uh, and your major concerns in your position, yeah. um, you know, the Central Business District had challenges prior to COVID, exactly. right? And when we talk about um, the, the effects of COVID, you know, it's only magnified some of those issues and created additional residual challenges, you know, for downtown. And I know that makes your job increasingly. Oh, my tough. goodness. Um, because you got to think about like the uncertainties associated with COVID. You got to think about, you know, the commercial space that you're so desperately trying to protect. You're trying to lure, lure you know, new businesses downtown, new uh, uh, residents downtown to still come yeah. and, and live and work and thrive downtown. So kind of walk us through, I guess, some of the challenges that you are forecasting uh, and, you know, you know, what you're projecting out of things that need to accomplish so you can, you know, put downtown in a better light. No, I, I appreciate that as a question. So starting even internally, what, what people may not know, our budget, 90% of downtown partnerships budget comes from a surcharge that's put on the property tax assessments. Of, of the buildings within 106 blocks of downtown. So that's 90% of my budget. Meaning if their property tax assessment goes down, then so does our budget. What people may also not know about how that functions is pro the, for those property owners, they can actually appeal up to three years back. And so even though I may start the year with a budget, I may get appeals that are coming from the previous two years. So that, so when you talk about the impact of COVID now on property tax assessments and everything else, it's a challenge. So that's internally, but you're right. Coming into COVID, there were already some challenges as it relates to the central business district. Vacancy rates for especially ground level and, and sort of class B office space were already starting to increase. That was a challenge that's been exacerbated by COVID. So you look at the central business district now, some of our um, vacancy rates for that office space is creeping up to over 23%, which is tough for an area. Um, coming in pre-COVID, you also had the areas of crime, right? And whether it's in particular to the Central Business District or just Baltimore City throughout, there are impacts. And when businesses and people have a choice on where they want to live and where they want to work, they generally are going to choose the place that they feel safest where they have these amenities and all of these things that were not necessarily built into the history of the central and its name business district. So you think about our district that have buildings that span an entire block, right? That didn't have ground level retail. And so that decreases the walkability in that area where, you know, in certain areas you can walk and you go to a shop and now you feel safe and pop in because as long as you have more activity, it's going to be increased safety. So those are things that we had as barriers coming in. And then you layer in not only COVID, right, that happened, but we had a social justice, injustice, however you wanna say it, movement that happened. And so then you also have these call outs around what, you know, redlining and segregation and all of the other things that impacted our city that when you 
bundle it down, it, it trickles down to the core, right? And you think about downtown that from a neighborhood perspective was always, you know, supposed to be that affluent, you know, they look at that's where you get all of the resources, that's where you get all of the money goes there, not to the neighborhood. So it also created prior coming in this sort of us and them as it relates to the city. And so now you come out of COVID and it's like, how do we fix as much as we can all of those? And I'm gonna tell you, Council President, the answer to all of it is gonna be together. Anything that you say to me, how do we deal with vacancy? You know, we came up with an initiative called Boost. We need to get more black and brown businesses into downtown, not only renting from that, but we need to figure out how they're also owning and in the fabric. If you say, how do we deal with crime, right? It's collectively, it's us working with BPD and other organizations, some of the businesses to hire more people from our community, put people to work in here so that we're all working together around the safety. Every single thing that you talk about, the answer is gonna be collaboration on it and an intentionality to fix it. See, the, the thing that I really enjoy about your leadership, your amazing brain and creativity is the Central Business District, a downtown of the city, is, is truly the symbolic representation of like what that city should be. And I think particularly in communities, uh, underserved communities, they have not always seen that level of thoughtfulness and connectivity uh, to roping in the entire city. But when you're dealing with challenges, um, but at the same time, you're fighting back perceptions, that's a really complicated equation to kind of break down. Uh, and I love the way you're able to like intertwine so many of those things. So, you know, for instance, you know, when we talk about um, some of the marches and stuff associated with the injustices that were going on around the country uh, through downtown, um, for some reason, the culturally competent Shalonda, who's also the business owner, who also is a, a, a daughter of Baltimore, somehow is the right person at the right time to kind of address and deal with those things. Um, the one thing that really pops in my mind is boost. And you kind of alluded to it earlier, but many of our listeners do not understand or know exactly what it is. But I think it's a very creative way of just trying to drive inclusiveness while also trying to fill a gap of some of the holes that we're seeing in the trends associated with downtown. So if you could kind of lay out what boost is, how it came about, and, and what I would perceive is how you're excited about it. Uh, uh, right. Look, can you feel the excitement? No. So thank you for that. A couple of things. Going back to the marches that you talked about in the protests and all of that kind of stuff, I, I would actually say a lot of that is the impetus of the idea behind Boost. So early, you know, when when all of the um, international media was on what was happening with George Floyd, you saw a number of people stand up in ways to say, I'm tired. Right. What can we do? How can we lend our voice to change in Baltimore? What you saw was a number of marches, demonstrations, protests. And as you can imagine, within the downtown business community, because this is the place where people come to share their voice. City Hall is here. The police department is here. You have all of you know, these resources here. And so people were coming through. You had some business owners who were a part of what happened in 2015 and said, you know what? I need to protect my property. You had other businesses who said, let me figure out how I could support. It was a myriad of things that were happening along the way. And so some businesses, they, they were boarding up and didn't know. And so one of my, it was like early on in my downtown partnership um, journey, 
you know, I talked with the team and we came up with an idea to go out and while things were painted up, these buildings were boarded, let's paint some symbols on them, right? Let's, let's spread some love all throughout. Let's show our support. Let's do all of those things. So we're painting hearts on the buildings and love and all of this. Well, one, and I would ask my team to send me pictures of what they did because, you know, I want to see what's happening. And I got a picture. This is so funny. I got a picture and the picture that they wrote on the building was Black Lives Matter. Now, you know, I'm the first black president of downtown partnership. So when I saw them put Black Lives Matter on the board, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be the shortest tenure president because somebody is going to fire me for putting Black Lives Matter. What they ended up saying is, no, one of our property owners and this property owner is not black, said, I want you to paint that on my building. At that point, you could start to see some of the transformation of what was happening and people saying, you know what, I may not be black, but I'm about the cause. Please let me do whatever. So for whatever, you know, so our team is now going through and they're doing that. As we were doing that, we also started to see vacant spaces, the number of vacancies. And throughout COVID, that number of vacancies started to increase. And so BOOST, which stands for Black-Owned and Operated Storefront Tenancy, is an initiative where we worked with those same property owners and said, look, we know that we need to get more Black businesses in downtown. We have to make it more reflective. Our downtown, our downtown, more reflective of the demographics of our city and to do that, we know that many businesses don't feel like they're either welcome, can afford all of those things to be down here. And so the property owner said, let me put some skin in the game and I'll create an affordable opportunity for them to be here. That may mean rent that's commiserate with sales or some number that they work out, but there will be an affordability to helping black owned businesses get in downtown. But beyond that, we work with other sponsors and partners to create seed capital. So we also give those businesses $50,000 to help with operating expenses, facade improvement, build out for their thing. And, and that's not the end because, you know, it, even with Grabo for having a business, just having some seed money in a space isn't it. We're also developing a cohort model. So there will be an academy that we're developing in partnership where we have organizations who said, I will give legal assistance, marketing assistance, financial um, technical to build out their online presence and all of that, because we want to make sure that these organizations are successful. This isn't a check in the box. This is how do we grow them so that they can employ more people, black businesses employ more, you know, so that we can grow it ultimately to where we start to grow the health of downtown. And it does, it's a win-win. We help these businesses grow. Now we have more walkability, we increase safety. And so all of these things feed on each other. Amen. I absolutely love that. Um, now, again, we, we're going from kudo to kudo, but the next one is the state of downtown. Oh, um, it was a very, very impressive virtual event. I was only supposed to hang out for a little bit, but I wound up staying for a lot longer um, because mm -hmm. the presentation was amazing. The setup was amazing. Uh, and then the, the gentleman and his book and the statistics yep. and stuff that he was kind of going over was really interesting. Um, you shared some important information about the health of downtown, basically using a one mile radius yeah. um, as your composite. Can you break down to some of the listeners who didn't have a chance uh, to participate in the amazing state of the downtown address? Can you break down some of the things that you kind of talked about and what you see are you know, key uh, areas of, of, of success, vulnerability and deliverables moving forward? Absolutely. And I thank you. So, so yes, we thank you for staying. And I think you stay because you, you care and that's what you do. 
in there. And so could not be more impressed with your leadership in this. But um, to go into state of downtown is something that downtown partnership does. And it's normally a look back over the last year. And you talk about, you know, what happened in the areas of employment or retail or tourism. And so it helps give all of those numbers from a city and it gives uh, apples to apples comparison. So when we try to attract those large retailers and all of them here, we say, don't go to Atlanta, come to Baltimore. And this is why. And so that's what it did. We're a part of an organization called the International Downtown Association. And they developed a way for us to compare city to city. And you do it around a one mile radius. Our one mile radius happens at Pratt and Light Street. And so with that, you get neighborhoods that people don't traditionally think of as downtown, but it includes the Mount Vernon that's in there. It includes Pigtown. It includes um, Fells Point and Harbor East and all of those other areas that make up downtown. But what you understand from that one mile radius, it's really 4% of Baltimore's total geography. But in there, you have Every you have so much, you have 29% of our businesses and 35% of all city jobs still within this you know one mile radius. We generate 17% of the property taxes, 16% of income taxes. When you think of hotel tax, 85% of it here, parking tax. And so this area does a lot, but this is council president our downtown, and I think that's the part of it because you're not gonna find that anywhere else. When you talk about the historic structures, we have 26 museums, 10 playgrounds, 20 parks. This is ours, not for one group. This is all of ours. We have two hospitals, the University of Maryland and Mercy that's in this area, several schools. So when you talk about all of this, I think that part is amazingly great. When you look back on the state from 2020, what we know is things happened, right? So office vacancies went up. When I talk about us now being a little bit over 23%, that was up from 17% just in there. So it's a big deal. When you talk about people and employers who were here prior to COVID, we had hundred and almost 125,000 people were here working. And now we have 117,000. And part of it is, okay, why? And, and you can tell the why in terms of employment, you know, service jobs were there. When hotels closed and museums closed, a lot of our front line was impacted and people lost their jobs. That is a big deal. And so now you talk about how do we get out of it? And so we brought in an economist, Richard Florida. I just finished, I finished reading his book called The New Urban Crisis and knew that we had to get him here for a couple reasons. One, what we know is downtowns are not dead. But you had some people like, oh, COVID happened. So, you know, it's too dense. Everybody's moving to the suburbs and they're not. And so we wanted data to show that people do still believe in, that, believe in downtowns. But the other part, and this is where it gets to some of the conversation we were talking about before, you know, segregation played a big part in where we are. Redlining played a big part in here. And when you talk about racial equity, people say, yeah, I believe in it. But do you believe in it enough to do some things about it? And so Richard Florida came and he wanted to give tangible things for the business community, for residents, for everybody to say, look, this is a collective approach to us doing it. But the only way we move forward is if people are intentional about equity. The only way we move forward is we make sure we are an attractive destination and all of those other things fall into place. Can, can folks go online and, and watch it now? 
Yep, please. I encourage yep. them. They will forever. It's our website is godowntownbaltimore.com. And so the the um, his slides, our presentation, and the full segment is available. Now you had a zinger quote that I'm gonna repeat. So make sure you guys go so you can not only hear this quote, but all the other amazing things that took place. You said Baltimore's future isn't up to fate. It's up to us. Uh, and when I think about the city of Baltimore, what I always like to tell folks is within 100 miles, there's four international airports. We got a ward, the water to our east, yeah. mountains to our west, uh, you know, 45 minute ride to the nation's capital, three hour train ride to the Big Apple, a small city called Philadelphia. It's right in between us and, and yep. New York. Everything is right here for Baltimore to continue to be the great American city we all know, but to also elevate and grow into the city that we want this to, it to become so desperately. And, um, you know, I just like to thank you for your leadership. Um, you know, many folks in your position because of your background and it's so eclectic, you know, talk to us about some of the stuff that you were working on in Annapolis. I don't, I don't want to put it out there, but I, I know you've been fighting uh, to ensure that one, we keep um, some state jobs here in the city of Baltimore. I think you came up with a very innovative solution, you know, for need of the central business district. So can you talk about that and where we are with that? Absolutely. I got. I can talk about it and I can thank you in the process. I know part of what we're trying to figure out is how we fill some of the holes. Part of what we know is there is as new development opportunities happen, especially to our east um, in downtown, organizations are leaving. Right. And so you have organizations who are choosing to be on the water. They're choosing to do new construction and all of that, which is not you know, as prevalent here in the core or the heart of the central business district. But there, this is a beautiful home to some places. And so, you know, with your support and definitely going to Senate President Ferguson, it was talking about how do we really lobby to have um, the jobs that state center move to the central business district. This was something that Governor Hogan committed to early on and COVID happened. And then, you know, when COVID happened, it was a lot of conversation about, well, you know, within state center, they don't have to necessarily pay rent. There are some other, you know, kinds of things that are going on. Is this a move that the state could afford to do? Um, and through a number of conversations, it was a couple of things. Is this a move that the state could afford not to do for a number of reasons? We know the employees and everybody who were in the state center complex, that building has its challenges. And so I know people needed to be out of that building. But to the point you were making, it's an easier move it is a stimulating move and all of that for them to come to the central business district for a number of reasons. When you think about relocation and what happens with them being here, it is a much easier move to relocate to the central business district. More importantly, the central business district as the core, we want to respond to what the requests are in coming in there. So we want to create an environment, a campus-like environment for them that's going to have the same um, walkability, safety, and all of those things. So in the stimulus package, and I call it stimulus because that was a part of how it was presented, it was really how do we go in, make sure we're creating parity where there is around what they get, but beyond that, creating an, an opportunity to save jobs for the city. So instead of states that are moving somewhere else, let's keep those jobs in the city. Let's make sure with this, because now you bring them into the central business district, all of the restaurants and people around them now benefit from having that increased income. The businesses 
the property owners, let's figure out how we do some affordable packages around parking and whether it's gyms or anything else or, or, or even rents, right? To have some of them live where they work. This is an opportunity to really give an infusion to the central business district that's needed. So Senate President and Governor Hogan and, and all, I have to give um, Speaker Jones a shout out, all of them, right? Uh, lobbied together to, to then put $50 million in the budget for the state center relocation. And now it is, how do we now move it to that next level? So I, I'm gonna be very honest and candid. When you first told me about it, you know, I was a little taken back um, because I was one of the folks that were pushing so hard uh, to see some real development in that part of West Baltimore that yeah. we're not used to seeing and knowing that that development that was going up was a private public partnership yeah. uh, with the community, with the unions, with the private equity folks that were in the deal. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, the current administration on the state level was just completely against it, literally from day one uh, and push back and push back and push back. Um, but you were like when you laid out what downtown was going through, when you laid out the chance for us to potentially lose these jobs to other places throughout the state of Maryland. And when you laid out the importance of, again, just 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 the health of downtown and and this being the really only option at this point. Uh, it made total sense. And, you know, again, I, I just think that that's a testament uh, to your leadership. So we're going to close out soon. Um, but before we do, I ask everybody this one question. Um, you know, I always talk about trying to be the best uh, city council president uh, that Baltimore has ever seen. What, what advice would you, do you give to your city council president as it relates to moving the city forward, the things that we should be working on, the things that we should improve on, just from your vantage point? What makes it so interesting to me Council President, I continue to be impressed by your responsiveness to so many things. I, I have no idea how every topic I've brought to you, you already know the background data answer. And, and I I personally attribute it to, you know, the engineer and you. And I can tell you moving forward, I think that's going to be one of the best things for your success. And so when I look at anything that I would want in the growth of our city, you're doing it. I, I promise you, being available, being responsive, being thoughtful and empathetic on all sides is one of the best things that I could ask for. And I mean, you, you're you winning that race with flying colors. And so I thank you for that. Well, Madam President, I thank you uh, for coming on and joining me on Notes from the Council Chambers podcast. I look forward to our continued partnership and working with you to create a city we all know Baltimore can become. My idea is creating more Shalonda Stokes. You know, that's the mission of, of my goal, providing young folks with real opportunities. I, I think that. until we start to do that on a wholesale level, uh, we can't get ahead of some of the systemic issues that plagued our communities, that's affected the perception of our city for far too long. So, again, thank you so much for all of your leadership. Uh, all that amazing brain power you have, creativity you have, and you're at the right position at the right time. So thank you so much, Yolanda Stokes. Thank you. It is an honor to be here partnering with you on what's going to be the, the best time of the life in our city. All right. Well, be more, expect more. I like it. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Council Chambers Podcast. You can listen to this and all future episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard, then please subscribe and stay tuned.